Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we are joined by John Cooper, the host of Counterpoint Politics. John, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the show. Doing great today, Desmond. Apologize to the audience recovering from a cold. So if uh, we hear some coughs on here, I apologize, but very excited to talk to you today. Hey, I really do appreciate it. I ended up finding this guy through his TikTok account, you know, few months ago I've been loving the content so far i think you do great explanations for really complex subjects in a really simplistic manner so i always do appreciate that i think we definitely need more of that in our political discourse so appreciate you coming on today to talk about some of these issues with me you know we're going to talk about a couple different things here between things happening with joe biden and you know projects that he's authorizing versus what he's done on the what he did on the campaign trail versus what he's done during his presidency i was obviously talking about east palestine and, you know, the two-party system in general. But, you know, before we get into all that extra stuff, the first thing I kind of want to ask you is just more of a, a personal question. Like, why did you get involved in doing what you're doing with counterpoint politics? Like, what, what drew you into this yourself, wanting to make political content on a on a daily basis? I mean, I, I could say that, you know, I've wanted to do this since I can remember. Um, you know, ever since middle school, high school, I got really interested in politics obviously had some different viewpoints back then than I do now. Um, yeah. But I've always been interested in like two things, politics and talking way too much. Um, so I find this to be a perfect fit. And as you mentioned earlier, I, I really appreciated your um, kind of how you described me, how I break down topics into a really simple, easy to understand manner, because that's what I try to do. Um, I think right. I have a, I have a knack for being able to quickly process complicated information and break it down so that you, normal everyday Americans can understand. Um, and if I'm able to do that, which I like doing it, you know, it brings me joy. And if it helps explain a couple complicated things to, to, you know, even one person out there, I've had a positive impact in this world. You know, it's something that I strive to do myself, which is one of the reasons why I started doing independent thought. It just seems like there's so much information out there that kind of gets, just get lost. And it feels like sometimes it gets overcomplicated and sometimes you just need someone to come in and just simplify it. I mean, I knew that I used to, and I try to do that myself now. Let's, let me try to do that right now, actually. Okay. With talking about our president, Joe Biden, just this week, he has authorized this new drilling project in Alaska. Uh, he's been catching some flack from it on the left, in my opinion, not quite enough. But, you know, it's kind of one of the things that highlighted I saw on a, on a couple different accounts that I follow on Twitter, uh, you know, shout outs to case study QB and tracking Biden from the left, uh, two accounts I love to follow on Twitter, but they showed video of Joe Biden in the 2020 primaries talking with Bernie Sanders uh, in their final debate, I believe, saying how he would never under any circumstance authorize new drilling for the fossil fuel industry on public lands during his administration. And yet here he has turned around and done that. W what is your response to that? Are are people overreacting to this, or do you think that people need to be criticizing Joe Biden more for going back on one of his campaign promises? So there, I, I kind of have two minds on this. The first being me as someone who's been following this very intently, more intently than the average American. I'm like, 
Oh, well, of course he did. I am not particularly surprised at this point in the Biden presidency as he campaigned as the most progressive president ever. And what we've gotten is what can best be described as Obama 2.0. And that's being generous in some regards. Um, And to me, it's, I, I feel like I expected this from him kind of the whole time. When he said, we're not drilling on federal lands. Like I remember that. I remember that debate and going, okay, Joe, we'll, we'll see about that one. Yeah, we'll see. Um, like this one in particular, yes, he deserves criticism for. He we should be pushing back more from the left on this issue. Um, however, th- I will say, like personally, this is one of the ones where I was like, okay, I feel like this is one of those those lies that you tell on the campaign trail that isn't going to be followed up on, and it turns out to to have been true. Um, would I have liked to have seen him keep this promise? Of course. Do I think we should push him to keep these promises? Yes. And honestly, this was a big one. Like, he very definitively said on live television, this isn't something he let slip to a reporter um, and like, oh, I got you, Joe. You said this on right. the April 12th and at 3.30 p.m. No, I mean, this was live television during a debate where he's debating Bernie on his left um, and he's hold trying to hold him accountable to this position. And he goes, no. No more federal drill, uh, no more drilling on federal lands. And it's just a lie, you know, and and yeah. when we're lied to by our president, who we voted for, criticizing that doesn't mean I would have voted for Trump. And, and I think that's a lot, something that a lot of people don't understand who yeah. are centrist Democrats, where you criticize Biden and they're like, oh, well, does that, does that mean Trump's better? It's like, no, it doesn't mean Trump's better, but that just because Trump's worse doesn't mean Biden is impervious to criticism that's not like that's not how anything in any workforce works right and this is the most important job in america yeah i personally hate that straw man you know Mm -hmm. where it's like if you criticize joe biden then obviously you know you're somehow endorsing him as being worse than trump it's not a logical argument right you know you would think that we should be able to in a healthy democracy you would have your own constituents trying to hold you accountable for not living up to the things that you said you were going to do. What's the point of campaign promises if you're not going to actually follow through with them once you get elected? We are electing you based on what you said you were going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that 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 stuff always like boggles my mind, you know, and also the the defenses of Biden that we get sometimes like, oh, well, he's better than Trump. It's like, oh, didn't we spend four years saying that Trump was the worst president ever? I mean, shouldn't he be better than Trump? Like, what do you mean? At least he's better than Trump. I, I don't know. It, it feels like a weak argument. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, something that you just brought up here, you said he thought that he was Obama 2.0. A lot of people liked Barack Obama's presidency. At the same time, I'll also mention, though, that Obama's presidency led us into having Donald Trump's presidency afterwards. But what are your thoughts on, on, I guess, Obama's legacy? You know, just like really quickly here. I mean, do you believe that Barack Obama was a good president. And, and does that de facto mean that Joe Biden is actually a good president? Yeah. Um, I, I want to, I want to address one thing you said there first, and then I'll answer the question. Yeah. I don't think, I, I think that it's a popular narrative that the Obama presidency led to the Trump presidency. And I think that is true in some ways, like that yeah. there was a reactionary pushback against Obama, but I think that the Trump presidency is more of a product of Clinton making massive, egregiously bad campaign decisions um, more so and being overconfident in the blue wall more so than it was reactionary to Obama, because, again, he didn't win the popular vote. Right. Um, no, was- no, you're right. Yeah, I guess oh, like, I guess well, to be fair about that, you know, if you really break it down, 
Trump won by about 80,000 votes over the course of three states between Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So, I mean, it, you know, if you really go back and look at it, it, it was a very close vote, you know, just within the states that actually matter because of our broken electoral college system. But yeah. I, I always push back on that when I hear because I'm like, eh, as much as I love to criticize Obama, that's not one of the things I feel like he necessarily deserves criticism for because it right. perpetuates this narrative that, oh, Obama was too radical um, and he wasn't at all. And that's more of the problem. Like Obama does have mm. a pretty decent legacy uh, among a lot of Americans, um, but a lot of the things he didn't do are the things that hurt us today. He had a complete control of the government and completely failed to pass universal health care. Currently, medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in this country. And you can thank Obama for that because he didn't use his advantage to do the thing that needed to be done, which he could have done. Um, there, there's nothing that would have stopped the Democrats from implementing universal health care if they really wanted to. And we now have to live with the consequences of that decision because in yeah. america unfortunately you know the the left party um doesn't have a fair swing of things because of the way the senate is set up um it's very rare that we get a supermajority like that so when we don't use it to do everything that we possibly can it to me it's just a wasted opportunity because we know the republicans are going to do exactly that um and so when we pass obamacare instead of universal health care and that's just one example to me, I, that hurts me more than the entire Trump presidency. Because the Trump presidency, it's like, okay, we lost. They're in control. There's nothing we can do about it now. We knew this was coming. But when we vote for someone and we want them to implement meaningful change and they don't, just on a personal level, that upsets me more. Um, because I'm like, you know better than this. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I, I know exactly what you mean. And it's frustrating, I guess, watching this all go down, you know, like in real time, you know, especially because I've been saying for a while now that, you know, like we wouldn't really need to be focusing on a 60 seat majority if we would just get rid of the filibuster. You know, I know that there is some pushback to that saying like, well, if you get rid of the filibuster, that's going to be intact for the Republicans when they control the Senate. I just happen to be of a mindset that I truly believe that, you know, popular ideas will win out. And I don't think that the Republicans have popular ideas. So even if they pass things, you know, the American people would reject them and then they would just be overturned eventually and they wouldn't be able to come back in the future. But, you know, kind of going away from that for a second here, kind of bringing it back more towards Biden, you know, I, I want to talk to you about some other things about you know, like the primaries back in 2020 then versus now, you know, but I, I kind of want to just like, just stay in the moment here a little bit. We just saw a huge train derailment in East Palestine. And ever since that, thankfully, I've been seeing the news cover more and more of these train derailments, not just by Norfolk Southern, but by trains, you know, companies all over the country. So we're finally kind of getting real coverage on this situation, which has been going on for a while now, which is something that the rail workers were, you know, warning us about months ago when they were trying to, you know, potentially go on strike. And Congress has this absurd ability to actually block them from going on strike, which the President Biden did authorize. Uh, mm -hmm. So my question to you is, you know, going to what happened in East Palestine now, do you think that these people are ever going to actually see any justice from what happened to them? Like, do you think that they'll actually ever have a clean environment again? No, never. I mean, I, mean, I, th I think it's almost... Laughable um, to think that they might, and in a, yeah. in a perfect world, yes, of course they would. But 
I mean, we saw what happened with Katrina. We saw what happened in Flint. Like there, when we have massive, you know, massive disasters in not rich areas of this country, it, it doesn't typically get better very quickly. Um, and I do, you know, for to, to acknowledge good things that the Biden administration has done. Yeah. The, the, the EPA is holding North, Northern Suffolk relatively accountable for this. They're saying, hey, you're going to have to. <coughs> Excuse me. Told you I would call. Oh, you're fine. They're saying they're saying, hey, um, you're going to have to pay to clean this up. If you don't clean this up, it's going, we're going to pay for it and you're going to pay triple. Like yeah. they're, they're doing it about as well as I would have expected them to. Um, but that's still not going to make things better for the people who suffered from this disaster. That's still not going to set make it, it a good decision to side with the rail companies and union bust the union um, for them who was, right. as you said, warning about this specific situation, in my opinion, and this is going to be admittedly more radical than I think the majority of the country would support at this moment, unless we message it correctly, but I think that things like, you know, rail infrastructure transportation should be nationalized in the same way that the highways are. Um, and there, there, there doesn't really seem to me a good reason not to. We have, I think there's like 4,000 of these train derailments a year. Um, you know, this isn't some isolated incident. This is just a really bad one because of the chemicals that were involved. Right. These things will continue to happen until we make massive structural change and yet no one is making those changes so that not just the people of east palestine are going to suffer for the rest of their lives because of this but the next east palestine will and the next one after that until we actually do something about it you know whether it's nationalizing the rail system or or another solution i think what people really just want is accountability you know they mm -hmm. want to know that when something like this happens that someone something's going to be corrected afterwards and, and that's what we're not seeing. We're not seeing a true correction of the EPA, as you said, has stepped in and said, like, oh, you have to clean all this up and you have to do everything that we deem is your fault, you know, or else you have to pay triple. And, and that's where I'm a little weary about, because whenever I hear about any kind of political messaging, I'm always looking for where the out might be, because it always feels as though there's always an out built in. So I'm really determined as we go forward, I'm, you know, just curious as we go forward to see how the EPA determines what exactly is Norfolk Southern's fault. Like, will water pollution be their fault? If a cancer cluster pops up, will that be their fault? You know, it's just very interesting to see how that will go uh, just going forward. But, you know, People were having debates about whether or not Biden was being adequately, I guess, criticized for this, or if he was being criticized too much, or if he was not being criticized enough. And that always like comes back to a debate about whether or not, you know, criticizing Biden, you know, like really is, is fair or not. You know, but the, the question I have to you is, do you think that you know, like we as people need to be criticizing politicians more, or do we not? Or are we being too unfair to them? I think we need to be criticizing politicians more. The way I like to think about criticism of politicians is treat them like you do your fo head football coach. You know, if, That's if a new one. the the president is the football, the head coach of the American government football team, right? Yeah, and we held the president a tenth of account, a tenth of the accountability that I hear on my local sports talk radio when they're talking about my my head football coach, we would live in a different world. You know, if we really treated this like 
do or die. We got to win the Super Bowl every year. And if you're not doing that, then you are failing. I think we'd see a lot more of what you're saying, accountability. I think we see a lot more action. I think we see a lot less stalling. And people will want to gain those accomplishments more than simply not lose their seat. Um, and But that's not the process we have. We, we have this way of thinking because of a variety of reasons, but mostly the fact that we have the two-party system of we just got to be a little bit better than the, the other team, which doesn't really help when you just have to beat one team it, it doesn't it, it's not hard to do that because one team's always going to have that accomplishment um but if we were actually honest with ourselves and we went hey has joe biden made america significantly better than it was under trump i mean i can point to some things and say it's been better but do i feel like i'm living in a different country no <laughs> like all of the same problems that we had with the exception of, I guess, we have a little bit more stable foreign policy, like a little bit significantly more stable foreign policy at the moment, um, better relations with our allies. Um, that for sure I can say is better, but domestically, I mean, what is actually that much better? You know, it, it's not, and again, I, I don't want to pass over a lot of the things that have been done if we had a Republican controlled Congress when when uh, we lost Roe v. Wade, we could be sitting in the country without any access to abortion care. Um, so like it could be worse, but that isn't that doesn't mean that it's better now. Right. Um, so that, that's the way I see it. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny you bring that up, you know, when it comes to the two party system, that's something that I've been talking about a lot. And that's definitely something that I, I want to kind of dig into with you a little bit deeper here. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more with John. Stay, please stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at Betty'sDivine.com. thought listeners has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side well then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode bathing beauties beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown missoula whether it's seed beads semi-precious stones vintage beads or just materials to make a project they have something for every person and every price range not from missoula don't worry they have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order.
Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. Now, before we went on the break, we were talking about the two-party system and kind of how it creates the kind of mess that we're in right now where we have choices of like really Biden or Trump. I, you know, just really quick question. Are, are you familiar with like ranked choice voting? Very familiar, yes. I have been a proponent of this for a little while now. You know, I actually... I have people that I know who are within the forward party, you know, like I, I actually, you know, fingers crossed, I'm supposed to have Andrew Yang come on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. So hopefully I'll be able to ask him about that. And it is something that I feel like we desperately need personally, you know, because at the end of the day, you really can't challenge the Democratic or the Republican Party without going through the process of, you know, going through their primary system and jumping through all that hoops and building a massive like name recognition. And, you know, it, it, it just feels like a giant mess. You know, I would love it for people to be actually be able to truly run as an independent, not like independent as like a centrist, but just like independent, like nonpartisan so that you can be held up on your ideals versus like, just like, are you a true Republican or are you a true Democrat where you're basically just having to appeal to a certain block of the party, right? But it, it seems as though more and more people are, I guess, parties in certain states are trying to prevent this from happening. Do you think that ranked choice voting is actually like a threat to establishment politics? Or do you think that you know, it's not actually going to do as much good for for our voting or for our country as people might think it might. I think the answer is a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, I think that it is definitely better than first past the post voting. We should definitely implement it. No questions asked. It should have already been a thing 100 years ago. Um, if, uh, if, if anyone listening doesn't know what we're talking about, type in CGP Gray uh voting systems into youtube he does an excellent explanation of it that i cannot even come close to um but essentially what it does is allow you to say hey if joe biden doesn't win i want bernie sanders or vice versa and that stops you from going i want bernie sanders but i'm going to vote joe biden because i think he has a better chance against trump um it allows you to more successfully get your vo voice heard and back the the candidate that you actually want to back without having to risk helping the other guy right, right. Um, but the as much as that will make things better it will give more voice to third parties it will give more voice um to people on the fringes of um each party um and give them actual electoral power it's not a silver bullet fix all solution there's many countries with ranked choice voting um you know the the uk i believe has the a more ranked choice voting like system but you still end up with a more or less two dominant parties with some fringe groups that have a little bit more power than our fringe groups do. So yes, we should implement it. Um, but I think anyone who thinks that it is a, you know, one size fits all solution to all of our problems uh, should just lower their hopes a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. It's the, the analogy that I like to use was saying that it, it's kind of like if, if you would imagine, and, and again, Bear with me here. It's not the best metaphor in the world. But if you imagine that the United States has like, you know, problems that would amount into like bricks. So they say they have like 30 bricks worth of problems, you know, like fixing the voting system, implementing ranked choice voting might be just taking one brick out of the issues. You still have a lot of problems left, but in my mind, it's one less problem. And it mm -hmm. does make it a little bit better to getting to where we're trying to go. 
And, and what it truly does is also gets rid of the spoiler effect, which is what so many people are constantly talking about. It's like, oh, I can't vote for third parties. They're just spoilers. Well, it literally takes that right out of the equation, right? And as you mentioned, other countries have this, you know, like the UK, for instance, um, you know, I, other countries in Europe, they have these kind of systems where they have multiple parties running. And so obviously those countries still have problems, but, you know, I do think it is a better system. Speaking of those other countries, though, another thing that they have that we don't, universal health care. It's amazing to me that this conversation has more or less just evaporated, where in the 2020 primary cycle, this was a very hot debate, so much so that all of the more centrist Democrats were putting out their ideas for uh, Medicare for all who wanted and the public option. And I also want to just note in this quick moment here, a little fun fact, uh, President Biden promised time and time and time again to implement a public option onto Obamacare. And I want you to know that since he's taken office, he has not even uttered the words public option. That's a fun fact. Uh, but kind of going into this, this is my question for you here. Do you think it's even possible that we even get to universal health care now, given the fact that we've backtracked from the conversation so much? I'm going to say something that uh, is probably going to surprise you here, but I think of all of the, you know, more progressive wish list items, universal health care is at the top of the most likely list. Oh, and okay. I say this because of the many conversations I've had, you know, in, in what I do with counterpoint politics, one thing I do is I go live and essentially treat it like sports talk radio. Right. Um, we'll come in, I chat with them. Um, and the number one thing that I have been able to change people's minds on is universal health care. And the reason for that is it's utterly indefensible that we don't have it. Um, th th there is really no leg that people can stand on when, and again, I'm not like debating them. I'm not berating them. I'm asking them questions. I, I'm presenting them with the facts and being like, okay, so you don't support universal health care. Why? And it's like, oh, we don't want to pay more taxes. And it's like, Okay, but did you know that when it come when you include taxes in the price of healthcare, we still pay more per capita for healthcare than any other country in the world? Oh, yeah, really, I didn't know that. Well, and they're, they're trying to figure out why that is. And it's like, well, just think about it. What did you see during the Super Bowl? How many insurance commercials did you see? You know how much those ads cost? Right. You know why they're able to spend that money on those ads? Because they're overcharging you. Because all of the money that's spent on advertising, all of the money that they take is profit. I mean, this is insurance. It, it, what we're just doing is moving it from the private sector to the public sector. And instead of that money being spent on profit and advertising, it just goes into reducing your cost for, for the insurance. That's it. And when it is explained like that, people get it. They're like, oh, I thought it was communism. You did you should have <laughs> led with that. That makes so much more sense. And that that is the number one thing I've seen people's minds change. I've had people reach out to me that I've known in the past where I know are Republicans and been like, yo, dude, I love what you said about this. I've never thought about it that way. This makes so much more sense now. And I do think that a concentrated media effort to explain this and get this in front of people would be effective in at least very much pushing public opinion all the way towards universal health care because it, it's one of those issues where there just is no like there, there's literally nothing we do better um, than, than the countries that have universal health care um like we, we they have better health outcomes than us across the board 
Um, you know, some of them have individual health outcomes that are worse than our individual outcomes, but across the board, we're not the healthiest country in the world. And every American knows that everyone hates dealing with their insurance company. Everyone hates trying to figure out what doctor they're, they're going to be able to see with their insurance. And I yeah. think that everyone saw how easy the COVID shots were who, who took them, which is still a large majority of America. And they're like, oh, this is universal health care. <laughs> this is how easy it is. Just go to the doctor and they give you what you need. Um, and I do, I would not be surprised to see that one actually be implemented. Again, it's a massive uphill climb because of a variety of reasons, including, you know, there being money and lobbying in Congress. Um, but I do see it as one of the ones that I would not be surprised to actually get accomplished, but Joe Biden ain't going to do it. <laughs> so when I do hear pushback about universal healthcare, because I've mentioned to you before that I have people who disagree with me, who follow me on Instagram, listen to my podcast, so on and so forth. I actually just had this conversation just today where I posted on my Instagram story, do you think we need universal healthcare? Had people DM me in response and they gave me their objections. The most common objection that I hear is that people are just weary of the government having control over who gets to decide what care they get versus I guess now where they feel more comfortable with an insurance company having that decision. Uh, but you know, I guess since you do this pretty consistently, give give in real time here, what would be your response to somebody who's worried about that? Yeah, I mean, my response to people who are worried about that is to look at every country that has implemented it and see how the approval rating of these systems and every country where the government runs them, maybe not everyone, maybe there's a couple that suck at it. I don't know. But like the big ones, you know, of Canada, Canada is a little, a little slightly bit different, but like Canada, France, the UK, these companies that would countries that we know about have very high approval ratings people like the service that they're receiving and i always hear well you want the you want a, the healthcare to be run like the dmv and it's like no the dmv is run poorly i want it to be run well like it is in france like it is in the uk right. um, or like it was in the uk um there like that's the the response i have to that is like just because the government is bad at some things doesn't mean they're always bad at everything When's right. the last time that you were like, you know, we need to get the government out of roads? When's the last time <laughs> that you're like, oh, public school, it should all be private? You know, wow, like, that conversation, unfortunately, is coming up. And that, that conversation yeah. But the vast majority of Americans still agree in general, public school is a good thing. No, yes. Um, you know, the, 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 the there are many. Do you want, you know, private companies running our military? No. You know, like, like there's many things yeah. the government does well that we can acknowledge and be like this can be one of those things like it is in these other countries yeah and be bad it's bad right now it is as bad as it can possibly be right now it is the most expensive and we don't get good results how much worse can the government truly be than the one we currently have right now you know and i, I you know as you did before when we we're talking about obama I kind of want to push back on this misnomer a little bit because this is something that consistently comes up when people talking about like the government being in control of healthcare. When you have a universal healthcare system, you know, obviously they're all set up in different ways. Like Canada's is different from Spain's, from the UK's, from South Korea, from Israel. Like all these countries have it. And by the way, you know, if you really want to see if they're unpopular or not, kind of like as John was saying, see how like, how the people of those countries feel about them? Is there fervor in those countries to get rid of these programs? You don't hear about it because if you did, I guarantee you that'd be all over Fox News, for instance. But kind of just coming back full circle here, 
most of these systems aren't set up to where like the government's actually in each clinic or in each hospital actually, you know, dishing out care. That's not actually how this would work. Your hospital would maintain its current administrative system. Your hospital would have the same doctors. It would have the same nurses. It would have the same everything. The only thing that would be gone would be the insurance company. The federal government would take over as the as the entity that pays the hospitals. As currently set up, it is the insurance company that pays the hospitals. That'd be legitimate, the only difference. And so the question really is, do you really want your insurance company to survive that badly? That you're willing to stay in perpetual debt. It, but you know what? I, this is a conversation that we can come back to again and again and again. I definitely think we need to. I'm glad that you're a little bit more optimistic about universal health care's outcomes, you know, primary out, uh, outlook than I am currently right now. I'm a little pessimistic about it at the moment. But it kind of ties into talking with people across political divides. You know, I've been spending a lot of time recently talking to people you know, who disagree with me online and, you know, maybe I'm getting a little down in the dumps about it because it feels as though like the divides are kind of wider than ever. And it feels like we say that every single year, but in legitimacy, like I feel more distraught about it now than I did even during the 2020 kind of like election. But maybe that's just from my own perspective. I kind of want to bring it to you here. How do you communicate with people who feel differently than you? Like, do you have a certain way that you go about it? And do you feel as though we are as far apart as we could be? Or do you see things maybe a little differently than I'm seeing them? So there's a couple of different types of people who disagree with you, right? I think that the majority of people who disagree with me, both online and real Americans, because what, what you really have to understand is if you're someone who- Right, someone online, in good faith or someone's politics, a troll. You're talking to a select group of people that are not representative of the United States population as a whole. Uh, they skew younger. Um, they skew um, more with more vitriol. Like, 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 like they, the normal everyday average American doesn't think the way that is presented online. And when, but when I do talk to people in real life, to people on, on my TikTok lives, um, the vast majority who disagree with me are still willing to sit down and have a conversation with me as long as I treat the conversation just like the conversation we're having right now. Like we yeah. agree on most things. Um, so we're able to have this conversation. But I tell you, when I talk with someone who I disagree with, 80% of the time, it has the same, like if you were just didn't understand the words and you were just listening to the cadence of the conversation, it would go a lot like this because we're just talking about the subjects. We're not making it personal. I'm asking questions. I, 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 I like to listen and actually hear what they're saying and treat them with respect. And you'd be surprised when we actually treat each other with respect, how much we can actually end up agreeing on. Um, uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I talk a lot on my podcast about open borders and I had a whole conversation. Someone came in hot and they're like, we can't let these immigrants come and ruin our country, blah, blah, blah. And I said, why, what's the problem? They're like, oh, they're bringing in drugs. They're bringing in this. And I was like, yeah, they're, where are they bringing it over? They're like, they're bringing it over the border. I'm like, exactly. And why are they bringing it over the border? Because they just want to come to America for economic opportunities. Perfect. Exactly. Do you think they would do that over the border if they could legally do it through a port of entry? And they're like, oh, no, I guess not. I was like, well, if we open the borders and let anyone come in through a legal port of entry, they're not going to be able to bring the drugs over the border. Now, are they? And, and in that moment, it's just like, oh, 
This guy listened to what I had to say. He addressed my concern. And now we're having a conversation. Um, and that's just one example. But like, as long as you listen to what they're saying and address the things they're talking about, things they care about, and don't treat it like their issue doesn't matter because it matters just as much as your own, then you can have a conversation with these people and, and you can do it. Now, you do get the, the jerks out there, um, you know, and with them, you just kind of got to put on a happy face and get through it and try not to succumb to anger, to frustration. We're all human. I've done it, you know, but I'm not proud of it. You know, I try to be, yeah. uh, you know, the, the person who's always open minded and willing to have a conversation, no matter how angry, you know, my, the person across from me is. It's a good policy to have. I mean, I have kind of gone the direction of trying to just figure out whether or not someone's being legitimate or if they're just being a troll. And when it comes to trolls, my new policy has just been just not to engage them anymore. You know, I, I don't think they want anything substantive. I think just they just want to dunk, you know, on people. And I don't got time for that anymore. I mean, that doesn't feel like a good use of energy. But, you know, John, I really do appreciate you coming on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about these issues. Uh, for those who are listening at home, where can they people find you out online? Yeah, um, you can look me up uh, on TikToks, my main platform uh, at Counterpoint Politics. Um, I'm on Twitter at Counterpoint USA. Someone else took Counterpoint Politics. Um, and I believe Instagram is also at Counterpoint Politics. I'm pretty sure. If not, it's Counterpoint USA, but I'm pretty sure it's Counterpoint Politics. But that is where you can find me. All right, everyone. So those links will be in the episode description. So go ahead and drop down in the episode description now and you will see those. If you liked this episode, please go ahead and share it on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, wherever you spend most of your time. I go ahead and share this episode, tag independent thought, tag counterpoint politics, counterpoint USA, whatever it happens to be on that platform. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you in the next one. Hey, everyone. Got three quick things here for you before we close out this episode. One, be sure that you're subscribed to the podcast because we have an epilogue of this episode coming later in the week. We recorded a few extra minutes tacked on to this conversation that you just heard. So be sure not to miss the epilogue, which will come out in a few days time. Secondly, if you did like this content and you want to support what we're doing here at Independent Thought, please sign up for our Patreon which helps to create what we're doing here in the future and helps us sustain what we're doing. That link can be found in the episode description. So click down there now and you'll see the link to our Patreon. And lastly, Independent Thought is looking to increase our team. So if you are interested in joining Independent Thought and helping us create more content, better content, DM me on Instagram at Independent Thought to learn more.